0: The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. So uh, the question that we're asking this morning is, have you ever uh, had a time when things were tough? Have you ever had a time when, when it seemed like maybe God was a million miles away? Have you ever been in that moment, that season, that that time of life, where things like, man, things are really, really bad, and man, it doesn't seem like sometimes whenever that happens, like that whole like when it rains it pours thing, it just kind of feels like it's true at that moment, right? Uh, like it just goes to worse to worse to worse. Uh, this wasn't really like that bad, but my my daughter this week she. I came home from school and she was determined we need to make chocolate chip cookies. And and so I said, all right, we'll make chocolate chip cookies. And so I got all the grease together and I'm making with her and we go to break the eggs. It calls for two eggs and whole eggs and two egg yolks. We need four eggs for this thing, right, if you're keeping track. We need four eggs for this recipe. And she cracks an egg, like she slams it on the counter and it cracks, like it breaks all over the counter, just everything, everywhere, and I'm like, Oh wow, that's a terrible thing to do. Then I go and crack my egg and the same thing happens again. She goes and she goes to crack her egg. It cracks all and drops all over the floor. Now I'm cleaning three eggs up off the counter and off the floor and I'm thinking, how is this happening? Like who cursed this carton of eggs? And then she goes to the refrigerator as I'm cleaning up and you know how hard it is to clean up egg. It is is like it is like incredible goppy mess, like I don't know how you clean up an egg. If if you know a great way, please let me know before we leave here. But, But she, then she goes to the refrigerator, she pulls out a replacement egg and she's just holding it in her hand in front of the refrigerator and it drops out of her hand and cracks all over the floor. And I'm like, how can we lose Four eggs in this process where we're just trying to make some chocolate chip cookies. It just went, and the whole like chocolate chip cookie deal went kind of downhill from there. We finally got some cookies made, but I was cleaning up for like 45 minutes afterwards. And it's, But life is like that sometimes, right? Sometimes when it feels like at a much worse level when things go bad, it just keeps going worse and worse and worse. And when you're in that moment, sometimes doesn't it feel like, man, if you ask the question like, I wonder where God is in this he feels like he's not around, or he feels like he, if he is around, he's a million miles away laughing at me. Uh, Dale had this uh, thing last week. He was uh, uh, helping uh, Patrick with their house in Conway, and Dale's driving down the road. I just thought about this, Dale, and he's driving down the road, driving the truck, and uh, all of a sudden, he hits something, and the, the truck, his big old truck, goes airborne off the front end at least, goes airborne off the ground and slams back down. And he thought like, he had hit somebody and had killed them right there on like Ninth Avenue in Conway. And he was like, what in the world just happened? And he stops the truck and he gets out and... On both sides of the street, there was one of those ramps that like you dr- drive up a, a truck on or a car on in order to, like, re- to do uh, to work underneath. Some, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining some kids were around the corner behind some bushes, and they had set these things up, and they were laughing and videoing Dale. There, somewhere on YouTube or Instagram, there's a picture of, of Dale's truck going airborne and some like, 15-year-old kids laughing in the background. And sometimes, though, doesn't it feel like God's doing that to us? Like, life is hard. Things keep going bad to worse, and it feels like God, if he's around, he's sort of like background just kind of watching and laughing at what's going on, and maybe we kind of feel like maybe he just doesn't exist at all. Because if you, you think like, man, if he, was, if he was real, if God was real, then, then how or why would he have had me go through what I've gone through in my life? If he was real, how how and why would he have me going through what I'm going through right now? And man, if if you if you're thinking that, man, you even think like either God is isn't real or if he is, then man, I can't trust him. Have you ever struggled with those thoughts before? Well, here's the truth. We've all struggled with those thoughts. We've all wondered, if God is real, then can he be trusted? And I wonder if he really is. And if you're in that place, if you've ever wondered that, if you know somebody that is, this series that we're going to be in the next few weeks is a perfect time for us to gather together and think and talk about these things. We're starting a short series, a four-week series on the book of Ruth. It's here in the Old Testament, and it's considered one of the great pieces of literature in history Uh, Whether people believe that it's in Scripture or God or not, they consider that uh, the book of Ruth is a masterpiece of literature. It is incredibly well written. It's a great story. It's compact. The way the plot goes through, the language that the author uses is considered to be like a a true masterpiece. And there's several layers to the story that are going on, but perhaps the main purpose of the book, the main purpose of the story is to is to show us how God works in the lives of everyday people like you and me. And especially how he works and how he is at work in uncertain and dark and bitter times. That's a big picture that we see happening. That God is at work in the lives of everyday people. Because here's the thing, there's three main characters in this book. We We have Naomi, And we have Ruth and we have Boaz, who hasn't been introduced in the story yet, but we're going to see him uh, very soon. Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. And here's the really interesting thing about all three of these main characters in the book is that none of them are very extraordinary. All of them are very ordinary and very plain. None of those three characters actually even know what God is doing as the story is playing out. And that's what it's like for you and, and me when we live our lives and we go through seasons, we go through times we get, when we wonder like, God, I don't see you at work. You feel like you're not around. You feel like you're a million miles away. And I don't know if I can trust you or maybe you don't really exist. Maybe this thing is all a hoax and I'm just like, I'm just making this whole thing up. Whenever we're in the middle of that, what, this story should be a great encouragement to show us that, man, if that's what it's like for most of us. There, you know what's interesting about what characters are not in the story there's no prophet and no priest and no king. There's no man of God, if you will, in the story. There's no one who comes in and says, "This is what God is doing." These are just three people who are trying to figure out from day to day how they're going to get through life and trying to and they're wondering, literally out loud wondering, "I don't know what God is doing in this season because it feels like he's against me." It feels like he's made me his enemy. And so that really shows us that the main character of this book isn't Naomi, it's not Ruth, who is named after and it's not Boaz. The main character that we see at work in this book is God. And we see him because it's a story, and you and I have the benefit of seeing the ending and seeing how it plays out. We get to see how God is at work in the lives of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz in ways that they can't understand at the time. And hopefully it'll give us some clues to see how God is working and may be working in our lives and the things that we don't understand. So we're gonna begin today in chapter one. And here's the three principles that I want us to see this morning. So we start off Ruth. First of all, I want us to see that number one, that God is always at work. God is always at work. Number two, that God's work is often unseen. And thirdly, that God is, even though he's always at work and he's often unseen, that God is faithfully kind. God is always at work. He's often unseen. And God is faithfully kind. First of all, God is always at work. So if you didn't notice in the passage of Ms. Carolyn read for us, which is all of chapter 1, uh, this story starts off pretty sad. Like it is, a, and in fact this chapter ends, it's kind of a bummer to end, right? I mean, you guys heard like, so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, who, reti- who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest, and right before that it said that, Naomi said, just call me bitter, for the Lord has de- dealt bitter bitterly with you. Don't call me Naomi anymore. The, the name Naomi means uh, to, uh, uh, to be pleasant. Naomi says, don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me bitter now. That's how this chapter ends. And it starts off pretty, pretty terribly as well. Uh, this is this period of time when the judges, so it was before uh, David and uh, uh, Saul coming on the scene and are, the, become the, be in the monarchy period in Israel. And uh, there's a, a famine in the land. And Naomi and her husband, they decide to leave Israel to try to find food, to try to find a way to survive through the famine. So they go to the land of Moab and they get there and they have two sons and they start to set up a life. And maybe they're kind of pleased, like, man, maybe we found a way outside of the famine. Maybe life was going okay for them, the sons. Then they meet some local ladies and they get married. And you think, all right, we got a life here. And then it goes even, so they left their home country, but things are okay, but then it goes even sadder. Naomi's husband, he dies, and then she's, okay, my husband died, but I have these my two sons and their wives here, and we have a family, and then, man, heartache after heartache, both of her sons pass away, and now Ruth, now Naomi is left with her two daughters-in-law, Orpah, and Ruth, and you can Google this. I forgot to Google this before I got up here. I, I heard at one point that Oprah was named after this character. Check me on that, but like it was a it was a, a, a misprint on the birth certificate. I don't know if that's true or not. That is true. Thank you from the audience. There you go. A little bit of a little bit of uh, trivia for you. You can wow some people. Thank you for the hand and, and uh, ending this thing. That's better than uh, Google right off the bat. But that. Now, this, so this is pretty sad. Naomi's lost her husband. Her, she's lost her sons. And these two ladies have lost their husbands. But it's, it's even, that's, that's really sad, right? Like, that's really sad. But it's even sadder than that. It's even worse than that because in this society, this time, to be a woman without a husband, to be, without a man to provide for you, you would have been left without protection you would have been left without any covering. You would have been left without any assurance of how you're even going to be able to put food on the table. In fact, uh, to lose your husband, to lose your sons, to be a woman without any husbands or sons, would be to be, the, the you're, you are going to end up being a beggar in life. You have no protection. Anybody can do whatever they want to you. And there's nobody to protect you. There's nobody to provide for you. So Ruth and her daughters are in a very, very precarious situation. They're sad, they're mourning, and they're exposed. And so Ruth decides, she hears, all right, there's food now back in Israel. So she decides, I'm going to go back to Israel, go back to Bethlehem, and maybe there will be people there who at least take pity upon me because here I'm a stranger. And she starts to travel, and her daughters-in-law are coming with her. And as, at some point in the, the trial, it tells us that as they're, they're going, she, she realizes, like, she realizes, like, there's no reason for these ladies to come with me because they're going to be away from their home country, and no Israelite is going to want to marry them, and I can't provide any children for them because I'm too old. There's no hope for them if they come with me. I'm just hoping to, e- to eke out a meager existence because God has dealt bitterly with me. And she says to them, go home, go back to your people. Maybe you can find a husband and I wish that God would protect you and help you and that you'll find peace and happiness in, those home, in, that, in your, husband, your new husband's homes. And it says that they wept bitterly over that. And they said, no, no, we're not gonna go away. Man, there's some sort of bond here between them. And you can imagine, right, what kind of bond would be there if they've experienced this kind of heartache together. They tried to, to survive together through this, these three ladies. And she says again, no, you really have to go. I have, no, I have nothing to offer you. The only hope that you have is to go back home. And they weep again, and Orpah, or Oprah, goes back, and but Ruth, it says, clings to her. This leads Naomi to the place that is pretty, makes sense to us to see whenever she is talking to her two daughters-in-law, she says that the, that the Lord has dealt bitterly with her. She says, using the language that like the Lord has kind of taken her to be his enemy, the hand of the Lord is against me, has gone out against me in verse 13. She feels like she, like God has, has it out for her and we can see why she, why she would think that, right? And so now she's gonna go home, gonna go back to Israel, just try to eke out a meager existence and end up dying because the Lord is her enemy. And for most of this story, most of the book of Ruth, we see, like, and it starts off really sad, and then we see a little bit of hope, and, but man, it's kind of, It's kind of rough throughout because we don't see God working in an overt way, right? No prophet comes on and says, this is what you should do, and God is at work doing this. The narrator doesn't even tell us that God is doing this. In fact, it's pretty silent through most of it. They're just trying to find their way through the whole thing, except for this bookend on both the front and the ending of the book where the narrator gives us a little hint that God's at work. We, we see this little hint in the beginning it's kind of you have to kind of look for it. the very beginning when it says that there was a famine in the land of israel as a as a reader in israel as you're reading this you would think all right God has said i'm going to prepare i'm going Take care of my people as long as you live in, in my land, the promised land, and as long as you obey me and follow me, I'm going to make sure it's going to go well with you. But if it doesn't, then you're going to have famine, it's going to go poorly with you, and I'm going to end up scattering you across other nations. And so if you're an Israelite reading this, you would read this and it says that there was a famine in the land and you would think, all right, there's something going on here. God's at work. His hand of judgment is at, is at work in the hands of Israel. God's at work here, even in a negative way. And then we would also see that God is at work here because it says that, She arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, that's Naomi, for she heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and had given them food. So the Lord had then turned and had started to bless his people again. So we see the beginning, the Lord is at work in ways that are beyond, like really cosmic large ways, right? There was a famine and then the famine has been replaced with a time of plenty in Israel. God is at work. And then let's skip ahead to the end of the book and the end of the story and we can see like how where this is going and how we see God is at work through this. And it's going to kind of frame how we see what's happening in between. In chapter 4, in verse 13, I'm going to cheat ahead. This is what happened. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she, hear that? The Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. So, God is not only at work, He's at work in the story. We see the ending, what's going to happen. He's going to restore, He's going to redeem this terrible situation. And not only is He redeeming the situation, but through Ruth and through Boaz, the line of David, the king of Israel, is going to come. So, God is at work. We see the beginning in a large way, so he's at work at the end to redeem everything into something that's even bigger that, you know what, that Naomi and Ruth and Boaz would not even understand throughout the entire, they would never, they would just think, man, this is really cool. It's amazing what God has done with our lives, but they would never understand the full extent of what God was doing in their lifetime. They would not know that he was providing a line for David to come from. And that should be, as we go through here, as we think about that God is always at work, that should be a little bit of an encouragement to us. That should be a great encouragement to us. That God is writing a story in our lives and through history that we do not understand. We have no idea the full extent of what God is doing in us and through us and around us, even in our darkest and bitterest places. And we may never understand. But we know, we see that God is always at work. He's always at work in our lives, He's always at work in our circumstance, and He's at work in both the large and the small events in history. Isn't that encouraging? As we look at the story, what we're going to see is that God's at work in these really large ways, this, like in, that is a famine and then a time of plenty and you know David's going to come from this line and the other large things that happens in history, but also he's at work in the small things. Isn't it, like, if you know the story, as we go through, it's interesting to see the things that just happen to happen to Ruth and Naomi. When they come back to Bethlehem, they just happen to end up Working a field that happens to be owned by the second closest re- a redeemer for their family. And the things that after that just happen to happen just kind of roll out. God is at work in both the large and small things in history, even when we're in the midst of our bitterness and the darkness. Not only is he at work, but he is sovereign in that work. It's one of the lessons that we see here. We see he, God is at work in the life of Naomi. He's at work in the life of Ruth. He's gonna, we're going to see he's at work in the life of Boaz in ways that they didn't understand. But it's, he's not just at work, but he's sovereign, or it means that he is in control in that work. Here's what that means. It means that God is not only at work around us, but he is, he is in active control of the events of our lives and the events that are around us. Now that's both good news and kind of concerning news. Like it raises some questions, right? Like in one one way you can say, all right, that's a little bit of encouragement to me that if he is at work and he's of active control, he's, he's sovereign. That means he, is active, he controls everything. No one, nothing goes on that's above him. He, gets to, he is over all things. That should be encouraging, but yet it also raises a lot of questions because why and how does he allow the things that have happened to me and that I see around me, the terrible things in life, why do those things happen? And here's one interesting thing about this book, this story, is that the writer does not try to explain why the bad things that happened, happened. And that can be like frustrating to us, who wanna know, God, we want him to explain what he is doing and why he is doing all the time, but the truth is that we are finite and he is infinite. And there's no way that we can wrap our heads around what is going on. God doesn't explain in this story to Ruth and to Naomi and to Boaz what was going on in the events that we read here in chapter 1 when Naomi's husband and then her sons die. They're trapped in Moab. He doesn't explain how that happened and why that happened. But what we do see is that he is at work in the bitterness, in the darkness, to redeem it. Now that it's frustrating and there's no simple explanation or answer for that except just to say that we know that he's at work even if we can't understand it but but here's the thing life is full of pain and bitterness isn't it like no matter what you believe about God, no matter whether you want to accept that he is real or not or that he would allow bad things or not, like we're left with the bottom line that life is full of pain and life is full of bitterness. Like there's a lot of great things in life, right? But yet also it seems like just there's always pain, there's always bitterness that we're dealing with. Like it's, it's interesting in our household right now, like this summer, and you know, we, we receive this, beautiful baby girl that we're uh, hoping to adopt and it's been an amazing beautiful season and yet right now we're dealing with the fact that like Megan's grandfather is probably going to pass away very soon. He's in hospice care right up the street right now. Like, for the, all the joy that we have in life there's also like bitterness and sorrow, right? And so here's the question that we have to ask ourselves is, do we do we want to accept that a that a good and sovereign God would allow things that are bitter and that we don't understand? And that means that there's some sort of meaning behind it all? Or would we rather believe that that the bitterness and pain in life has no rhyme or reason? And that either it exists outside of God's hand and outside of his control, or he doesn't exist at all. But one of those things has to be true. And what Ruth is telling us, this story that we're going to see unfolding over the next few weeks, is that God is always at work even when we don't understand it. And there is, even though we can't explain it away, there is a purpose to our pain. There's a purpose to the pain. Even in the bitterness, God is at work. And it makes it hard because God's work is often unseen, isn't it? Just like we see in this story, Naomi, as she's mourning the loss of her husband and the loss of her sons, and Ruth and Orpah are mourning the loss of their husbands, and as they're trying to figure out what they're going to do when they're parting ways, and there's tears, and they have no assurance of what's going to happen, God is at work, but his work is unseen, and that leads to the question of saying, like, man, either is God either not sovereign, or is he good? Or is he, is he good and not sovereign, or is he sovereign but not good? But, man, some one of those things has to be true if he is, if he is real, and that leaves us like, kind of, what do we think about who God is? Okay, we, we end up sort of either a place like Naomi. Hey, hear what she says in verse 13 and then in verses 19 through 21. She says, would you therefore wait till they were grown, as she's saying, if I had sons? Would you therefore refrain, refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And then in verse 19 through 21, she says to her friends back in uh, Bethlehem who say, hey, is this Naomi? Is this the pleasant one? She says to them, don't call me Naomi, don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara, or Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly. That's what that word means, that name means, bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Naomi's left, like she still believes in God, but she believes that he has set himself up as her enemy, that he's dealt bitterly with her. And what we see here is sort of this really, we see faith, but it's a really faulty, imperfect faith. We we see a couple things about Naomi. First of all, that she believes improperly about God. We see she believes imp- improperly about God for uh, several ways. One is that she ascribes this evil, this bitterness that he has upon her, but she never accepts any sort of human responsibility. She says he's dealt bitterly with me but she never even like asked a question like man what is my role in all of this. And she believes imperfectly about guys because she also when Orpa leaves she says go back to your guys like she like like God is my god but you go back to your guys like like she still believes like maybe there's these multiple gods out there she believes imperfectly but yet she believes. She still trusts, like, I'm going to, God has dealt bitterly with me, but I'm still going to go back to Bethlehem, and I'm still going to trust somehow that he's going to have some sort of mercy upon me through his people. And you know what? that should be, an, like, Naomi is one of the heroes of the story, and that should be an encouragement to you and me that even when we believe imperfectly about God and even when we are faulty in our faith, that, that if, as we trust and try to rely upon the Lord, that he is still there, he is still at work in the the behind-the-scenes in ways that we can't understand. We see Naomi believing imperfectly that God is at work, even when she doesn't understand, but we also see Ruth. And this is an interesting, amazing part of this story. It might be the most amazing part of the whole book. Naomi uh, ascribes to the Lord that he's dealing bitterly, bitterly with her. And he tells both, she tells both Orpah and Ruth to, to leave her and go back home and try to find a husband. Orpah does. But Ruth says this in this amazing, poetic exchange with Naomi in verse 14. But Ruth said... Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more if anything but death parts me from you. We see something here in Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite. That means she is outside of the covenant people of God. She would have grown up worshiping the gods of Moab. It looks like even in this family, they probably would have been open for the daughters to perhaps still be worshiping their gods. And yet Ruth, somehow, in hearing the the family that she had married into recounting the stories about who the Lord was, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and what he had done for the people of Israel how he had made a covenant promise to Abraham and how he had led his people into Egypt for their safety and then whenever they were enslaved had led them back out, how he had delivered them into their promised land through amazing miracles as they would have recounted these stories over and over again. As she heard these stories, something had stood out to her to say, that is a God." That even though I don't understand and even though I'm outside of his family, somehow I believe that I can trust him. She had seen something in God's people and in Naomi and her husband, her sons, maybe primarily through Naomi. But we don't know. It doesn't explain how. But somehow she had seen enough faithfulness and enough faith and trust in this family that something said to her, I should trust this God that I don't understand and that I'm outside of. Something had stirred inside her. And though Naomi was an Israelite and trusted imperfectly and believed imperfectly about God, Ruth, who was a Moabite and outside the family, she says, there's something about this God and there's something about you and your family that here's what I'm gonna say. I will leave my people. And any sure thing I have here to find a husband back in my mother's house, I will leave them and I will go with you into the uncertainty. And I will let your God be my God and your people be my people. And I will stick close to you, Naomi, because you're my tie to him. And where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. And where you die, I will die because I'm going to stay with you because I'm going to stay with him. Your God will be my God now is that really cool? This Israelite who trusted imperfectly and believed imperfectly, yet God honored her. And yet this Moabite woman outside of the covenant promise of God, she said, that's God I want to connect myself to. He is always at work. And even though he's unseen, he is at work. God is at work in ways that we can't understand and that we can't comprehend. And that's hard to get sometimes, right? It's hard to understand. But sometimes it's all we have to trust in. That God is at work and he's at work in the background in ways that we can't see and we can't comprehend. But what else are we going to trust in? How are the other lifeboats that you tried in your life? Is there a single one that you tried that doesn't have a hole in it? And yet time after time we see through scripture and we see through history and we can have the testimonies of people in this room that no one who has trusted in God, even though he is unseen, has come back and has said he has been unfaithful with them. Even though it's hard to understand. You guys remember, you guys remember checks? Anybody remember like writing checks? Uh, we have a checkbook. I think we write, like, two or three checks a month, maybe. That's what we write out of it. Like, everything else is, you know, electronic. But I, I, I remember checks. And I remember, like, you remember when we used to go to the grocery store? Anybody old enough to remember? Some of you guys don't even remember this, college students, but when you go to the grocery store and you, you would pay by check. I remember when Walmart got those printers where you could just sign your name and give it to them and they would, like, print the check magically. And you're like, wow, it's like magic. It happened so fast. But, 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 but like, I remember as a kid watching my mom at the store writing out the check and I remember thinking man checks are a magical thing you can write any number of of like dollar amount on there and give it to people and they accept it like it's money like why would she only use it for the like for this amount wouldn't she write it for like larger amounts and I had plans like man if I ever get a checkbook I'm not going to have like small plans like my mom does to buy groceries. I'm going to like I'm going to check this. I'm going to use it in grand ways because all I could see is you write the check for a certain amount and they accept it and like boom. You know what I didn't understand that there were things going on in the background that I could not comprehend and I could not wrap my head around. And that's what life is like. There are things that we, that we, like a child, can't understand the concept of swiping a card or writing a check. There are things going on in the background that they don't understand, and there are things going on in the background that you and I cannot understand, that we cannot comprehend. God is at work always. God is at work, and it's often unseen, but here's the bottom line thing we're in we with today that we see in this, even the beginning of the story. God is faithfully kind, there's a key term that's used throughout this book, and uh, m- many scholars think it's, the, it's sort of the theme of this whole book. And it's, the word is introduced uh, here in verse, uh, verse 8, when Naomi said to her two daughters, Go, return of each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly, deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me that wording there in the hebrew is the word has said i'm not going to try to pronounce it in the hebrew way cuz it makes me like make a like a guttural sound that's really gross but it's the word has said and it's a, a covenant term and it means that it's it's hard to translate easily but it means it means this. It means love, it means faithfulness, it means mercy, it means grace, it means kindness, it means loyalty. It, it describes the positive nature of God to mankind. It, it means a a steadfast commitment on God's God's determination on God's behalf to do his people good, It's devotion and a and a loving kindness that goes beyond duty. May God deal kindly or may he deal with faithfulness and mercy and grace and kindness and loyalty and love to you. May he deal with you in that way. May he deal with you that way. And we see Naomi who is Unlearned and has bad theology. We see her imperfectly trusting in the hesed of God. I believe if I can just get back to Bethlehem, even though He has dealt bitterly with me, if I can get back there, there's some that there's some hesed there that He will deal positively and kindly and graciously with me. And may you go back to your homes and may He deal with the same way. With you. And that's what we see Ruth responding to when she makes his grand pronouncement to, to Naomi where you go, I will go. Where you dwell, I will dwell. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. And I will die where you die. She says she's seeing the Hesed. She's seeing the Hesed of God as he interacts in the story of how he dealt with his people. And we see she saw the Hesed within this family somehow. And from there, she saw, I've got to be connected to that. And she converts. When, when, she, when she makes a pronouncement to Naomi, she's saying, I will leave my people. I may never see my mother and my father and my family ever again. I will be with you. And I've got to be with you because your God is the God of Hasad. Your God is the God of faithfulness and loving kindness and I want in on that even if it means saying goodbye to everything I have known in my entire way of life and even my whole family I may never see them again I need to be connected to that Hesed of the Lord your God the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob God is at work Ruth had lost her husband. She'd seen Naomi lose her husband and they were left without any protector, without any covering and they had no assurance. No prophet came to them and said, if you go back to Bethlehem, this great stuff is gonna happen. She just knew that there's a God of Hesed. And I've got to stay connected to this God, the God of Naomi, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I know that he I've he has got to be at work even though he is unseen, because I've heard and I know somehow that he is faithfully kind, he is full of grace and mercy towards his people. She had heard the stories. But for you and me, as we go through dark and bitter times, how can we have any sort of trust that that God, that the God of Chesed, His is real? How can we know and trust, like when things are bitter and things are tough and things are dark, how can we trust that, that, that he is good and loving, full of loving kindness, that he's gracious, that he's committed, that he is loyal to his people? How can we know that? How can we trust that? whenever it seems like things are falling down all around us and, and here's how we can trust that and here's how we can know that we can because of Jesus we can because when Re- Naomi says in verse 20 that God had dealt bitterly with, with her we see that Jesus came and he drank the bitter cup didn't he Jesus came and he took on our bitterness, not just just an analogy, but he took on our bitterness, the, the darkness and sin that we had upon us, that we deserved and had coming to us. He came and he drank the bitter cup for us on our behalf. We know that God is a God of said that he is trustworthy, that he is full of loving kindness towards us, his people, because just as Ruth said, I will go where you will go, I will lodge where you will lodge, your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God." and where you die, I will die. You know what, what Jesus did? He came and he lodged and dwelt with us. He became a man and took on flesh and he Dwelt with us as mankind. He came, he came, he dwelt with us. He made us a foreign people, a people who were alien and rebellious towards him. He made us his people. He made his God our God. And he died and was buried. But yet it didn't end there. He rose again. We can trust, you can trust, that God is a God of hased, a God of loving kindness, a God of loyalty, a God of grace, a God of mercy towards you because and only through Jesus. But if you place your life upon him, then you can know that that is God's bent towards you, and that just as the story ends in a way that Ruth and Naomi and Boaz couldn't have imagined, where that God redeems it and has something greater beyond them that they could have imagined, that God is at work in the same way in and through your life through Christ. God is a God for us in the bitterness through Jesus And we know that he is going to protect us, and he's going to redeem it, and He's the ending is going to be way better than the beginning for all of us. Life only gets better for the believer. Maybe not between now and we lay our body down, but throughout eternity it will only get better from today. And that is what we celebrate when we come forward as a body and we take the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus on our behalf. We we're saying, we believe that Jesus came and he took on our sin for us. He drank the bitter cup for us. So, in the future, we'll be able to feast with him. And we know that he is a God of Hesed, of loving kindness and gracious to us, to us through Christ. So I invite you this morning, if you are a believer in Christ... After I pray, I invite you to come forward and take the broken body, take the cracker, dip it in the juice, return back to the middle aisle from the outside. Take it and celebrate all that he has done for you, all that he is for you, that even in our bitterness, that he has assured a greater and better future through his broken body and shed blood. And that it is he is, has said to us, amen, let's pray.